0: Hello and welcome to Mojo for the Modern Man. This is your host, Ken Mossman. And today I am delighted to be joined for act one of my conversation with Rodney Agnant. As Rodney says, he hails from Brooklyn, East Flatbush, pre-gentrification. And he starts by launching into an early conversation that he had with his father in which he was told at the very tender age of seven that as a quote-unquote black boy, more than a few cards were stacked against his chances of success. And in order to improve those chances of success, there were a whole lot of adjustments to be made. He goes into detail about his inner responses to his dad's warnings and about navigating and playing the games, he says, and making a clear choice around the age of 11 to get rid of any hint of his hometown accent, anything that would identify him as being from Brooklyn, as being black. He reflects thoughtfully and clearly on decisions that he made as a younger human, not a young man, a child really, with some deep wisdom and appreciation, and then points toward the importance of training one's ear to listen beyond accents and our assumptions about those accents. It's a rich conversation, and Rodney is just absolutely brilliant and delightful, as you'll soon hear. Just a quick reminder, if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service, and let's get into this conversation. Enjoy. Rodney Agnant, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Mojo for the Modern Man. Hi, hi!
1: It's so great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a joy to hear your voice.
1: Same here, my friend.
0: Thank you. What was it like growing up in your part of the world?
1: Oh yeah, wow. So, for some context here, I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Grew up in East Flatbush pre-gentrification. (laughs) There has been so much of that going on and continuing to go on, especially in that neighborhood over the last few years. And some of that context is that I'm a black man, started a black boy, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, a a black boy growing up in, in Brooklyn, New York, and in a neighborhood that was low income in a lot of ways had moments where it would feel a little bit different from that and trying to understand what does it mean like what does it mean to be a person right and that's a strange question to have as a kid (laughs) as a as a usually as a baby and as a kid you, you don't really have that question and I didn't start with it either I just was doing the things that that youth do and the, the the moment that really opened my eyes up to that question and to this reflection and contemplation that became a part of growing up in Brooklyn was the moment when I was seven years old and talking to my father in the car. Or to be more accurate, he had a conversation with me. Also, what a place to start, <laughs> to start a conversation like this. He,
0: yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I couldn't tell if that was a comma or a period. So car- carry on. Yeah, keep going with that.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's, um. he sat down and he looked at me and he said, you know, Rodney, I need to tell you something. You are a, as a seven year old, as a kid, he told me, you are a black man growing up in this country. And people are not only expecting you to fail, but waiting to see when you do. Wow. So because of that, there are certain things you can and cannot do. You you can and you must do well in school. You have to get good grades. You cannot speak a certain way. You cannot dress a certain way you can't listen to certain music and you know he said all of this as a way to to try to ensure my survival in this world and to, to try to ensure that I would make something of my life because the the mythology the stories that were told about kids who looked like like me with my skin color and my hair texture and all these things. But especially if you're not just black, but a black boy, the mythology, the idea at the time, was that you were more likely to go to prison than to go to college. Mm. This was, people had statistics for why this would be the case. And so part of that expectation to fail is that even in school, the teachers are looking to see who are the most delinquent Um, black kids so that we can punish them sooner so that we can get them to behave sooner. And as a lot of wise people may have figured out that kind of way of seeing things doesn't really work out very well in the first place. No. And funny enough, those statistics over the last five years, people have actually revisited them and realized that the numbers were incomplete and so the story actually wasn't true to begin with, but we didn't know that in the 90s. We didn't really know that in the early 2000s. It was around 2014, 2015, where thankfully people did the scholarship to revisit this and realized that it actually wasn't even the case. But imagine that that's the world that I grew up in.
0: And And as a seven-year-old, if you can, I mean even even as I hear it the uh I notice I have a I have a visceral reaction it hits me it hits me uh pretty much uh pretty much uh, like a full body contact sport um hmm. yeah what I I'm curious what do you recall your your response or reaction physically emotionally cognitively to to hearing all of this from your dad I think there were a few
1: different reactions. One of them was almost almost like a militant note taking. I wasn't a kid who would suddenly just have a notebook and and take notes. I mean that happened a little bit later, but not at that time. But there was a sense of I should really be listening and really plan to to do this, like okay, not going to dress a certain way, okay only getting one specific haircut, (laughs) which basically in my life I've only gotten two haircuts and one of them was the standard for the first nine years from that moment. And then I only made a slight deviation at the age of 16, (laughs) which I've continued on uh, up until now. So there was that first reaction of, this is serious, I'm going to do this, because I don't want to fail. The other reaction, which, you know, at first, when I when I reflect on this, part of me wants to go, oh, why did he tell this to me as a kid? Because I think, honestly, I, I became more of an adult sooner because I felt like being childish was dangerous, that being mm. childish would lead me to failure. So it, it sped up my maturation process, but i think the one childlike thing that really stuck with me and that was part of the moment that i see now when i reflect back at it on it is that the whole premise seemed to use a non-childlike word preposterous <laughs> because as a child it just felt like people don't even know me so it just seemed like it was this premise that had nothing to do with me and if they knew me they would think differently i think that a lot of youth or at some point i think when we we're born we don't really question our worth and at some point we learn to question it but thankfully for whatever reason at least till that point in my life i hadn't questioned my worth so there was this other reaction of why would people even question it in the first place <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. thankfully, that's a lot of that has stayed with me. Even at times wavering, but thankfully, something about that youthful response has stayed with me.
0: A hey, quick reminder: if you have not yet, please do subscribe to Mojo for the Modern Man on your favorite podcasting service, and stop by my website Cirrus, as in the Cloud leadership.com. Let's get back into it. And 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 again, the youthful response that it was uh Wow, you know why? <laughs> why would I ever question my own worth? If I'm hearing right. you accurately, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, uh, just from the work that, that 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 I know we both do, that why? How common is it that uh, we do? Uh, I think in, in many ways we are trained by various systems, whether it comes from family, whether it comes from Religious institutions, whether it comes certainly comes through education, uh, in a lot of respects, uh, trained to question our, our our worth. So I'm wildly curious, you know, uh, uh, how you were able to, because it sounds like you've you've actually been generally able to navigate in a way. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but you've been able to navigate in a way that's been, uh, uh free of the burden of questioning your own worth. Hmm.
1: Yeah. In some ways, right. As, as you're sharing that question, as I'm thinking about it, I think part of it is learning to navigate the game and play the game. And at some point you realize that you don't need to play the game anymore. So, I think initially, after hearing this moment, after having that moment with my father and beginning to see the world in that way, the first question I had was, how do I assert my worth to the world so that it makes it a lot harder for them to continue to question it? And one of the ways that that happened was the realization the realization that even the way that i speak ca- creates context so it was clear to me because my father said it you can't speak a certain way and what he meant by that was i can't use slang i remember <laughs> i remember being in third grade so now i'm 8 years old and i'm on a on a three-way phone call cuz that was a thing at the time Mm -hmm. and we're trying to work through a school project and the the two other boys are kind of getting distracted and talking about other things that have nothing to do with class and I'm trying to get their attention. And though I wouldn't say this at home, I would use the word yo. So I was trying to get their attention. I was like, yo, yo. And as I'm about to say the third yo to try to get their attention so we can get back to school because of what my father told me. I was in the living room having this conversation and my mother looked me dead center in my eyes and said say yo one more time
0: with her <laughs> as, in, as in as in how dare you <laughs> with
1: her with with her hands oriented towards the belt if you know what i mean uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and i was stuck in this in between of I'm trying to get their attention to be the success you want me to be. And I also am, if I don't say this, I might not succeed. (laughs) And I might also get in trouble if I do say this, right? So these, the things that my father initially told me got clearer and clearer. And I realized that now in middle school, as I'm getting in, just a little bit more of a diverse schooling. My my elementary school was mostly black. My middle school mostly black, but also uh, some Latinx people, and also a few white, specifically Jewish people, which is cool mm-hmm. and just different. Realizing that the the teachers seem to to like the the kids who didn't have as much of a Brooklyn accent for whatever reason. And so I remember being 11 years old in seventh grade and making this really clear choice of, I'm going to get rid of my accent. And I'm going to just create a different one. I'm going to to create one that is the standard American accent, uh, hearing about it through my theater class, my drama class. And doing that so that I could send a signal that I'm different and that people should pay attention. So that was a way of, I know I have value, people may not see it, I'm going to figure out how best to assert it clearly so that they understand it and that they see it and experience it. So that became part of what I did. Now that's, to me, that that is playing the game and part of it is that you get the immediate reward you, you score some points early on you go, Oh, this is awesome. This is like, look at me. I'm getting so much respect in other things. And there is a lack of freedom in that because yeah. I'm maintaining a structure that doesn't actually see the greatness available. And, and all these humans that are around me that look like me.
0: Yeah. And I, and I'm curious, as you look at it now from, you know, from, from through, through the eyes of a, of, of, uh, of, of, of an older man, Mm -hmm. you know, older than you were, um, not older than me, um, (laughs) (laughs) says the gray beard. Um, But as you look (laughs) at it through the eyes of the, of the older man, I'm curious if you, um, yeah, what would you, uh, as the older version of yourself, what would you tell that younger one in you? You know, particularly about I think. Uh, you know, interestingly enough, because I know when when you and I spoke last, we 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 spent a good deal of time talking about language, and uh, and and I'm curious what you would you know what you would, and because he, he sounds like a precocious one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what would you tell him, uh, if anything differently about uh, different about about language, about accents, about any any and all of that?
1: Hmm. I would, I would tell him to be fluent in as many ways of speaking as you can, because the choice, I don't think it was a terrible choice. I know it was a terrible choice.
0: (laughs) I don't think it was a terrible choice. I know it was a terrible choice. It was a
1: terrible choice. But what made it terrible... Was that, as a kid, I made the mistake of thinking that that made me better uh, and it didn't, but it took me getting further along into my teenage years and then way more into my young my my earlier part of my twenties as someone who's now in the later part of his twenties it It took me some time to really understand. That I really wasn't better. It, I remember being in a in a work situation where I'm talking to a colleague. This is years ago, and they were commenting on this very thing on the, on my accent, on the way I speak, and and how articulate I am. Which often, as a black person, is it, it actually doesn't get received as a compliment, even though people might think that. It,
0: yeah, you might as well just is. say, "Wow, well, Rodney, you sound so white." you know yeah yeah, really I mean just to call it what it is yeah yeah, you might as well yeah yeah Um, might as well yeah
1: and and so I remember actually getting into a conversation with that person and how he wished that and this was where it really was offensive to me He, he said that he wished that people who looked like me talked the way I did and so I remember I can't remember if it was that exact day or Later on, I'm sitting on the train going back home. I, I went back to Brooklyn after college and was there for a few years. And I was taking the train going back home and I was just listening to some black teens talking. And what I loved about this moment was that they were speaking in, in, in everything, the, the, the vernacular, the accents, the, the everything that I had put to the side but I wasn't listening for how they were speaking. I was listening for what they were saying. Mm. And in that moment, I could just hear the complexity the complexity of their ideas and their thinking in what they were saying. Because even though I gave up the tongue for it in a lot of ways, I never gave up the ear for it. Mm. Never, never. And when I was listening to them, I just said, these kids are as brilliant as I might be, if not more. <laughs> <laughs> and what a shame that this person who I work with, who is white and is brilliant in his own right and in his own career, and I hope that he's doing very well. What a shame that he is missing that because he has not trained his ear to hear this, to experience the wisdom that these kids, that these teenagers, that these future world leaders have and are developing in real time.
0: Thank you so much for joining me and my guest, Rodney Agnant here for this first act of our conversation. And we'll be back soon with act two. And if you want to learn more about Rodney and his good work at Colgate University, there is a link to his LinkedIn profile in the program notes, which you can find, of course, the same way you found today's podcast. And I invite you also to come by my website, Cirrus Leadership. Cirrus is in the cloud, C-I-R-R-U-S, leadership.com. Sign up for my weekly musings. And come have a look around at the classes I've got going on. The next round of my I Am program begins in Q1 of 2022. So there is plenty of room as of when we are recording this. And uh, yeah, come by and check out and see what I've got going on. There's uh, blogs and so much more. And with that, I look forward to seeing you back here on Mojo for the Modern Man very soon. Make it a great day. Be well.